welcome back to re-watching Avatar The Last Airbender. Today we will be discussing the second half of season 1, episodes 12 to 20. And there is, in my opinion, I mean, there's some great shit in here. And then some other stuff where you're just kind of like, alright, sure, fine. I mean, you know, whatever. But I didn't write it. Let's talk about it. Episode 12, The Storm. This episode is pretty much uh, explaining why Aang uh, woke up in an iceberg, which is good to know, especially fairly early on in the show. Um, it's also a, a fascinating framing device, uh, utilizing the storm as both like a metaphor and the, of an actual storm. Um, what with Aang having kind of crashed in a storm and then having to go save Sokka and that cantankerous old fisherman uh, from yet another storm and we got a very sneaky James Hong in there that's always appreciated um, but it gives us an idea of you know why Aang uh, ran away um, and we learned that he ran away like he everything changed and he was going to get taken away from his, his monk bud and as a child, he panicked and ran, um, which is perfectly reasonable, especially uh, given given the circumstance. And of course, we get the dramatic irony of Gyatso being like, I won't let them take you away from me. And then he's already gone. It's too late. Um, but Katara brings a great, a great point that's like, well, we need you here now, you know, because of what's going on in the world. And if you stayed, you probably would have died. And he's like, you don't know that. Yeah, but the odds are pretty good that you would have died. And then we just would have gotten a waterbender, you know, avatar or whatever. And they would never would have been able to learn airbending because all the airbenders would have been dead. So, there you go. It's a decent episode and I understand its importance. But, you know, in re-watching the show, that's definitely not going to jump to the top of my list of, of things like, you gotta see this episode. It's the best episode. It's an alright episode. It, it serves its purpose and then we... We go, we move along. We just, we just keep on trucking. The Blue Spirit! This is, this is interesting because I, I like the, the invention of the Blue Spirit to showcase Zuko's unyielding determination to get the job done. His entire being focuses on capturing the Avatar. And actually, this is something that I probably should have said in the last episode because it happened in the last episode. Getting Zuko's backstory in the storm makes that episode much better. If it was just Aang and like running away, then that wouldn't have been as good. But understanding Zuko's history and how he back talked his dad and his dad was like, you know, you will learn patient discipline respect, I think. You will learn respect and suffering will be your teacher. Good old Mark Hamill um, killing it as Fire Lord Ozai. And yeah, Zuko getting scarred by his own dad is pretty fucking tragic, but it makes for a great goddamn backstory. Um, and the Blue Spirit just continues to build Zuko as a character. He's no longer just like a mindless, I must capture the Avatar. Now you understand his reasonings for why he must capture the Avatar. And it's because... His entire sense of self-worth and his sense of being hinges upon 
not necessarily capturing the avatar because that's more of a means to an end for him he's not it's not that he's after the avatar because he hates the avatar he's after the avatar because capturing the avatar is his perceived way of retain or re uh what's the term regaining there it is the status and the respect that he had uh or his father had for him and all that stuff that's why he wants to capture the avatar so it's it, which is great you know um goddamn motivation that's the term this episode also has something that i haven't really spoken about before but this show does exceptionally well because of all those check off gun moments and that is continuity Many of these episodes tell a unique story, but it's all part of a grander narrative, which is also a rarity in animation. I know a lot of shows do that more often nowadays, where there will be like a trial or something that happens in an individual episode, but it is part of a grander journey or a grander narrative. But, you know, not that long ago, animation was basically like, here's a setting and some characters and they just get into wacky slice of life adventures and then that's fucking it. Like The Simpsons. The Simpsons does not have continuity because if it did, the characters would age and they don't. It is perpetually whatever fucking year it is for the Simpsons family. It's it's absurd. And that's one of the many reasons why I don't watch shows like that anymore because they never learn and they never change. And they are the same every fucking episode. Now, there's something comforting about that, but I like characters that grow and evolve because it's more realistic. It's what life is. Could you imagine what the Simpsons would be like if those fucking characters aged in real time? Homer would be dead. Homer would fucking absolutely be dead. And he'd be like Bart's family or Lisa's family. And we'd have a whole new whole new breed of Simpson to check in on. That sounds pretty interesting. I probably would have given a rat's ass a lot more. But yeah, it's just like, no, Maggie will always be a baby. And for some reason, they think that's a good idea. But I digress. Um, anyway, yeah, so Genny Zuko's backstory in the last episode was really good. But we got the blue spirit now. Sokka's got a head cold because he was out in that storm with the cranky fisherman. Continuity. Um, and Aang's like, all, all, like, there's a line in there where it's like, Katara's like, Sokka's in no mood to travel. You know, he's in no condition. He can't, he can't do that. Yeah, but on the back of a fucking flying bison, what goddamn, how much effort is that really going to take out of Sokka? Just, like, strap him down or something and fly his ass out of there. Especially because, you know, there's an herbalist on the other side of the valley. Just fly over there. You know? Would have been would would have been so easy. But then again, we also wouldn't have had this episode. Uh, Admiral Zhao, who's just been promoted. Congratulations, Admiral. Uh, has hired the some fancy fucking archery group, whose names I forget, to go get Aang. And to that archery group's credit, they do. They do capture Aang. But we never see these archers ever again, despite their success in capturing the Avatar. You would think that, hey, if it worked once, go get, try again. Go get him. You, you, you did it. He just escaped because of the blue spirit. Let's just, let's just do that again. Because it worked. But no, 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 no. Like, in every animated show, it's like, let's try this thing. Oh, it didn't work. Well, shit. Let's never do that again. We're just going to abandon that idea whole cloth. And uh, we'll just never bring it up. How's that sound? Oh, which is stupid, but whatever. Anyway, Aang gets kidnapped. And Zhao's like, fucking that was easy. And then uh, the blue spirit shows up, which is Zuko in disguise. And busts Aang out of, out of prison 
so Aang can go collect some frozen frogs and give it to uh, Katara and Sokka to suck on so that they no longer have a cold. What I like about this episode is the very brief kind of interaction between Aang and Zuko where Aang is like, do you think we could have been friends like a hundred years ago? And Zuko obviously attacks him and Aang runs away, but that is some very nice foreshadowing to their eventual relationship. And this is something that I thought about, um, and I thought about it actually in episode 16, so I'm probably just going to wait and talk about it then. Um, but I, I love that foreshadowing of Zuko's eventual friendship to the the Aang squad. What, what would they call them? I don't know. Um, Team Avatar, that's what it was. The original Team Avatar stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, again, it's a fine episode, but, like, the Blue Spirit and the Storm, like, back-to-back, they're, they're, honestly, if it wasn't for, like, these little nuggets of character development, they're filler episodes. Like, straight up and down filler episodes. From episodes, like, 11, 12, and 13, you could skip all of these, and you wouldn't be missing much, unless you care about the characters, and this show is fucking grown on the strength of its characters. So if you don't care about the characters, this show has nothing to offer you. Like, it's it's all about the characters. And while I admit that animation's good and the music's amazing and the fight scenes are fun, it's all about those fucking characters. Like, every any show worth its salt is built on amazing characters. Because who gives a shit if the characters aren't good, you know? Your story will have no weight if your characters suck. I don't care how interesting the plot is. If your character's boring, I'm not going to care about it. Blue Spirit's a fine episode. Let's talk about the next one. If I am a sucker for anything, it is fucking romance in anything, really. I, I fucking, I'm a, I'm a goddamn sucker for that shit, because love is awesome. Um, and in episode 14, The Fortune Teller, we get the first baby hints of some sort of romance possibly brewing between Aang and Katara. Up until now, neither of them have really given each other the time of day. It just hasn't been a priority. You know, it's just like we're traveling together. Um, there's there's a bit where, where like, fucking Aang makes uh, Katara a necklace in the beginning of this episode. And she's like, how do I look? And Aang looks and it's just like this fucking rosy tinted glasses and she looks real pretty. And he's just like, do you mean all of you or just your neck part? And I'm like, that's a pretty smooth line. Um... And then she goes like, he's just a sweet little guy like Momo. And Aang feels totally emasculated, which been there, buddy. Um, but it's the first time, right? And then they eventually go into this town where there's a fortune teller. And Katara learns that she's going to marry a powerful bender in the future, which, you know, that's kind of obvious, but whatever. Uh, and Aang, of course, thinks that means him. Uh, I know that it does, but, you know, at this point of the show, who knows what's going to happen? Um, and then Aang gets his fortune read and the fortune teller is like follow your heart and you'll be with the one you love or whatever and then there's like a volcano and uh everybody is giving Sokka just tons of crap because Sokka doesn't believe in the fortune telling and he's trying to explain with science why things happen and nobody's believing him because they believe in the fortune teller and uh then they save the town from the volcano which ironically proves that the fortune teller was correct but you know whatever and science and blah 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 comedy ensues it's a delightful episode. It's 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 very good, um, and I like the the beginnings of the stirrings of romance, and I think that is a a nice addition to this show. Did it need to be there for this show to be good? No, 
Is the show made better by its presence? Yes, absolutely. At least in my opinion. I think any show worth its salt needs to explore all types of relationships. And up until now, the show had really focused on... It had sibling relationships. It had friendships. It had rivalries and, like, enemies and war. You got it. You got to put some love in there. Because that is the natural counterbalance to, like, death and destruction and suffering. Is love and unity and family and all that crap. So, it needed, it needed to be in there in, in order for it to have the balance. And if this show loves anything... It's fucking balance. Let's talk about the next episode. Episode 15, Bato of the Water Tribe. Bato. So this episode is is fun because not only do we get Bato of the Water Tribe and hints about what that all looks like, and I want to talk about that here in a second, but we also get the character of, I believe the name is June or Jade. Uh, voiced by Jennifer Hale, I want to say. I'm almost positive it's her. Um, who has this sheer shoe, which is like this sniffing bull, bull cow thing with a paralyzing tongue whip. I don't fucking know. But it's great. And I was all fucking excited to see her. So that's that's fun. Um, Bado is interesting because it wasn't their dad. It was a friend of their dad's who showed up to give us that first glimpse of of water tribe culture beyond what we saw in the beginning episodes as well as beyond what Katara and Sokka have shown us um which up until now we don't know a whole lot about their culture they've been fairly fairly small and impacting you know there there's not a whole lot of water benders um in the world earth bending seems to be the predominant form of bending because they are the largest and most prolific of the kingdoms but that is, you know, that is fine. And then you got the Fire Nation, which I would guess is the second largest, um, followed by the Waterbenders, and then followed by Aang and his Earth Kingdom. So, or his Airbending. But we don't know much about the the Waterbenders and uh, or the Water Tribes. And Bado gives us gives us a bit of that culture in terms of like what their domiciles look like, some of their preferred cuisines, the idea of the rite of passage of ice dodging, which is pretty delightful. Um, I wonder where, where Bado falls in. I'm, I'm guessing he might be more of like a godfather type figure, um, or maybe an uncle. Um, it's, it's never really made clear, but for all intents and purposes, he's, he's family, you know, it's a very small tribe. Um, so it makes sense that they would have a good relationship with Bado. And of course, Aang gets all jealous because the, he overhears Katara and Sokka talking about potentially leaving Aang to go see their father and all of that stuff. Um, but one thing I wanted to talk about with this episode, right? A couple of boats from the Southern Water Tribe left to go fight in the war two years prior to the events of this story. Like, because Asaka goes, it's been two years since we've seen Dad or whatever. What are they off to go do? That's what I've always wondered. You know, like, who... What are they off to go? You're going to go fight the Fire Nation? Sure. But were you guys even in trouble? Or or what? Because cause you just kind of went off to go fight the Fire But why? If they weren't, you know, I, I'm confused by that. Like, we're going to go meet up at the rendezvous point. But what are they doing? They're just It's just that kind of offhand, we're going to go fight in the war. But the war is being fought... Like, all over the fucking place. And all sorts of different battles and fronts and things. It's it's a really broad statement. 
I don't know. That's always confused me. And I know we meet up with them a little later on, but it's also just been like, but why though? It's not like you were drafted. You're a whole other fucking kingdom. Just stay out of it. But whatever. Um, and then, of course, they find out that Aang was hiding shit from them. And they got all butthurt and decided to leave on this adventure anyway. Um, meanwhile, saw, uh, Zuko is pursuing uh, the the Avatar with the Sheer Shoe assassin. And they eventually find each other. And there's a nice little fight. And Aang gets the, the necklace back for Katara... Uh, from Zuko, and they eventually beat Zuko, and they fly away, and that's the end of the episode. It's it's nice. I like getting that kind of additional backstory in building um, the the relationship that Katara and Sokka have with their dad. Um, I was about to be like, we don't ever get a lot about the mother, but the mom's dead, so that's why they care about dad so much. Um, that might have been the catalyst for why dad left the Water Tribe, because the Fire Nation came and killed the mom and so I guess they pursued or went off to distract but if anything they should have stayed and protected but whatever you know grief will make people do different things uh, it's a good episode though I like it episode 16 the deserter this one's fun because Aang and the gang slip into a fire nation town uh, and eventually make their way to the like the enclave the the fucking hate ashbury commune pound for this guy named john john the deserter um and much like other fucking check off gun moments john john comes back later on the show uh and john john deserted the the fire nation army and uh ang's like maybe he'll teach me how to bend fire um and john john's like you're not fucking ready and he gets really angry and yells at ang and fucking avatar roku shows up and he goes you think i'm weak boy I've learned the elements of a thousand times over a thousand lifetimes. You will teach me to fire bent or whatever. And John John starts teaching Aang uh, discipline because John John goes like fire is alive and if you can't control it, it will destroy everything, which is absolutely true because hey, you know what? That's what fire bending is all about. Um, but Aang, of course, being the impertinent, impatient twat, just doesn't listen. And he's like, I'm ready to learn fire. You gotta teach me how to bend fire and I'm gonna fire bend and John John's like no fine and so he, he gives Hank uh, like a little flaming leaf and Aang turns into a fireball and he's dicking around with it and Katara's like Aang you gotta be fucking careful you know it's a ball of fire you have in your hands right and Aang's just not fucking listening and uh, wouldn't you know it burns the shit out of Katara which is a great goddamn moment because it gets like super serious and Sokka tackles Aang and he's like you burn my sister and she just runs off crying, and eventually she heals the burns on her hands um, with healing powers that are introduced in this episode. Hey, hey, isn't that fun? Um, but uh, oh, so what I what I like about this episode is it's like up until now, Aang has <laughs> there's a theme in this show that Aang doesn't really learn from masters. He learns from his friends how to bend the elements. Katara teaches him waterbending, Toph teaches him earthbending, and Zuko teaches him firebending. If if John John here fucking taught him firebending, that wouldn't have worked for like the, the balance of the show. Um the the characters that teach him are like the greatest fucking teachers ever, and they're all like amazing in their own way. So it's it's interesting where it's like the old masters aren't gonna get it done 
It's you need the new school guys. That being said, he still does learn quite a bit from fucking what's his face, um, Master, like Potaker, whoever the fuck is. What the hell is his name? I just watched it. Um, Master, pa, uh, fuck, water bending, Master, par, uh, fuck. What the hell is his name? Uh, his name was Paku. That's it. Sorry, I was like fucking blanking on that. Um, Paku teaches him a little bit, but Katara is definitely his his like predominant waterbending instructor. Um, especially as they travel, because that makes a lot of sense. Um, but I love the backstory on Zhao, who is just impatient and and tricks him into burning his own boats down, which is just fucking excellent. That is that's some good old fashioned sass. And then John John just fucking vanishes into the weeds. Where did he go? We'll find out later, but we don't know right now. Good goddamn episode. Also, we got a little glimpse of Aang firebending, and if you've been paying attention at home, that means Aang has uh, bent three of the four elements. Um, he obviously hasn't done any earthbending yet, because as season two will tell us, that's really hard to do for airbenders. Um, but it's a it's a great episode. This is probably the first, like, outside of... So, out of the ones we've talked about, I love the Fortune Teller episode, but that's probably predominantly just because of the, uh, the, the, the sowing of the seeds of romance. Um, this one is, is classic, great goddamn storytelling. I love The Deserter. Episode 17, The Northern Air Temple. Uh, this one, they hear a story, right? of air walkers and the guy's like what are you talking about grandpappy saw the air walkers just last week and they fly to the northern air temple because Aang's like maybe airbenders are still alive and it turns out it's not it's a bunch of refugees who invaded the northern air temple to escape the fire nation and they had uh, invented a bunch of flying goobers uh, to zip around and stuff like that and we get um, some, some awesome representation in this episode uh, as well as introducing the idea of the blimp to this show. It's really interesting and kind of hilarious to me how the the simple act of this one war balloon in episode 17 spirals and basically changes how the Fire Nation attack anybody from here on out. And it's also amazing to me that the Fire Nation couldn't figure out the hot air balloon on their own. Um, but boy, do they fucking run with it. Uh, and it becomes just like a whole big thing. And it's, uh, it's pretty awesome to see the evolution of warfare as this show progresses. Um, the Fire Nation are definitely the most, like, industrious nation, which makes a lot of sense, because, you know, they have, they're basically a walking fuel source, but it is, it is fascinating to see how, um, these different cultures are built around their respective form of bending, um, and the Fire Nation being much more industrious, what with metalwork and all that stuff makes a lot of sense. Um, the earthbenders build large structures out of earth and stone and are very solid and rigid and the airbenders live in inaccessible locations that are usually big open archways for them to zip in and out of and all that stuff and then of course the waterbenders live surrounded by guess what ice which is always fun um, I like this episode a lot I think it talks about Aang's respect of the past and uh, his like constant battle with getting used to how much has changed since he's been here last because you got to remember like for Aang it was it felt like no time at all had passed 
um, and everything's different. And so his memories of a hundred years ago are still very much alive. And he's just kind of trying to catch up and deal with everything. Um, and I love the characters introduced in this episode. And I know I've said it before. Excuse me. It's late. But I'll say it again. We'll see these characters again. I've said that with like every fucking episode. There's been like no characters that have been introduced in this show. Except maybe the fortune teller. Who don't return in a later episode. And even the fortune teller came back in the fucking Bottle of the Water Tribe episode. The very next episode we see the fortune teller again. So they may not, there may not have been a large gap between their return. But they did come back. Um, and this is the first time there, there was like a full out kind of battle, you know, most of the time it's skirmishes, like tiny amounts of firebending troops and all of that stuff. But this time they like mounted a defense and went on the war path and fought with stink bombs and fire bombs and waterbending and all sorts of shit. And they were whooping ass and eventually blew up half the mountain. And that's what caused the fire nation to flee. But the fire nation, of course, got the war balloon and you can tell that the inventor like fucking knew it because he's like all worried there and he's like, no shit. And, of course, that changes the tide of, like, a lot of things. Fire Nation still loses, but they invented war war balloons. So that's fun. Um, great fucking episode. Love this episode. Now, episode 18 is the first episode of what I would consider to be a three-parter, but officially it's not. It's the first of many episodes that take place in the Northern Water Tribe. We finally made it. After 17 episodes of flying northward, we make it to the Northern Water Tribe. And boy howdy, it is just a fucking ice fortress. Consisting of, like, probably a couple thousand people, if we're honest. If we're being generous, a couple thousand people. Not all that many. Um, But enough. Enough people to, you know, make sure that we're not, like inbreeding ourselves into annihilation um and they're honored uh as as welcome guests when they show up and then we meet princess yue for the first time hey hey talking about romance that fucking relationship blossoms and explodes uh but we'll get to that um and the they are all honored and paku is like you know i'll get get teaching you in the morning with you and your friend or whatever and uh we get to the morning and Aang and Katara shows up and Paku goes, there must be a misunderstanding. In our culture, it is forbidden for women to learn waterbending because we didn't have enough, like, archaic sexism uh, in the early episode with uh, fucking uh, Warriors of Kyoshi, right? With Sokka's sexism. Now it's now it's institutionalized sexism. That's, that's so much harder to fight. And Katara's, understandably, completely pissed that Paku won't teach her. And Aang is, is getting taught and Paku's being a bit of a dill hole and Aang is all frustrated and Sokka's like, well, how about, what if what if you teach Katara how to do waterbending like after hours? And they do it for like 60 seconds, Paku finds out and then banishes Aang from being his pupil and all that stuff. Meanwhile, Sokka is off, you know, making goo-goo eyes at Princess Yue and they're hanging out and he's like, you want to do an activity together? And she's like, do an activity together? And they hang out for a little bit and And then she's like, meet me at that bridge. And Sokka's like, all right. And then he meets her at the bridge. And she's like, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have asked you here. Goodbye. And he's all fucking confused and flabbergasted and doesn't understand what the fuck's happening. Uh, And rightfully so, because she doesn't explain anything at that moment yet. So it's just, it's just, he's just frustrated because he doesn't understand. Like, did he do something wrong? Like, what's going on? Blah, 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 blah. And 
all that stuff. And then uh, they go to the council to get Paku to take Aang back to be his pupil. Um, and the chief of the water tribe is like, I think Paku will take him back if you swallow your pride and apologize. And Kadar doesn't. Um, and she fights Paku. Um, and she holds her own pretty g-dang well. And even Paku's like, I, uh, yeah, you are an incredible waterbender. She's like, you still won't teach me though, will you? And he's like, nope. And uh, then he wins the fight, picks up the necklace, and he goes, I made this necklace for for your grandmother. Oh my god! Um, and it turns out that there's a there's a little bit of a relationship there, and uh, he 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 agrees to teach Katara waterbending, which is great. Uh, but prior to that, there was an interesting thing where it's like the women of the tribe learned to heal with Master Hoda or whatever the fuck Hakoda, I think her name was. Um, but didn't John John say that like the healing abilities is like rare for waterbenders? Like not every waterbender can heal, or are they just saying every female waterbender can heal? Because that's also sexist. Um, but now it's like spiritually sexist because how would the spirits make that determination? I don't know it's just it's kind of muddled but Katara can heal that's that's what matters as far as the story is concerned we don't need to go too fucking deep into the implications of this thing um I love the northern water tribe I think it makes a lot of sense um and I love even more that throughout these couple of episodes uh the northern water tribe agrees to sail south to the southern water tribe to help rebuild their sister nation because hey you know what yeah you guys are you guys should be helping each other out like the fucking Southern Water Tribe is a couple of tents on an iceberg. And this is like a glorious, snowy metropolis. Um, it's also funny, like, you know, I don't want to jump too far ahead because we'll talk about the siege here in a moment. But um, the, the the destruction of all the buildings, it's just like, yeah, but they can just rebuild it. It's all made out of snow anyway. Of course it melted. It's fucking snow. Just fucking... And then you're fine. You just water bend that shit right back up. Who gives a shit? Um, but yeah, it's it's... This sets up. This is the calm before the storm, really. And uh, it is, it's pretty good. I'm just going to keep going because in my head, these episodes are all tied together. Uh, the Siege of the North, Part 1, Episode 19. We flow, and it's it's been some time. Like, time has passed since the last episode. How much time? We're not really sure. Let's generously call it a week, we'll say. A week has passed since they've been in the Northern Water Tribe. Um, Yue and Sokka... Um, are are still hanging out and she she's told Sokka that she's got feelings but she's engaged so they can't be together but they're still hanging out because you know love knows no boundaries and uh, the soot begins to fall as the first warning sign that the uh, Fire Nation is coming um, and Zhao has um, assembled this massive invasion fleet to lay siege to the Northern Water Tribe Meanwhile, Zuko's had an attempt on his life done by some pirates that Zhao paid for and has snuck aboard Zhao's many ships in order to get to the North Pole and capture the Avatar on his own. Iroh has come along because Iroh is a sweet old man. I forgot to talk about that earlier. Um, also, Katara is kicking ass every which way to Sunday in her waterbending training because Katara is incredible. Um, and Aang, meanwhile, doesn't really hasn't really done a whole lot of waterbending. Um, at least none that we can see. Uh, which is kind of amazing, given that like this was is like his whole life purpose is to learn waterbending, and he just doesn't really seem to give a fuck, um, which is kind of upsetting, given that this is the whole thing behind the the first season. But it's really more about Katara learning waterbending, if we're all being honest, because as I mentioned before, Katara is the one that teaches Aang how to waterbend, 
And she can't do that unless she's dope-ass at waterbending. So, it makes sense um, for, for all this stuff. One thing I do have an issue with, though, is that up until the, like, last episode, Katara's been a pretty decent waterbender, but we haven't seen her do a whole lot of, like, really technical stuff. And then in episode 18, she's whipping out all sorts of dope-ass moves. Like, the whole ice disc thing, and, like, the snow and all that shit. And, like, where did any of that come from? How did you, how did you do that? You sure as fuck didn't learn that from the water scroll. So, I don't know. It's, I think we're supposed to be shown that it's, like, an innate ability of Katara's, but... She seemed pretty hopeless at waterbending earlier on in the show. She just got better at it because the show needed her to get better at it, which is fair, but um, maybe she was just trying to show off uh, to impress the dude, which also fair. Whatever the reason is, she's really good at waterbending and has been the entire time, and I don't know what you were talking about when she could have waterbend before. But the siege begins, and we start to get hints of how firebending and waterbending really work. You know, the firebenders are stronger when the sun's out. The waterbenders are stronger when the moon's out. And when the moon is full, the waterbenders are nigh on unstoppable. And when there is a... I mean, they don't tell us this right now, but when there's a solar eclipse, the firebenders have no power whatsoever. But of course, the solar eclipse only lasts for like eight minutes or whatever the fuck. If there's a lunar eclipse, which happens way more often, waterbenders are also without power. Um, and that's all well and good. And Zhao's like, I'm here to kill the moon spirit. And I was like, what the fuck? No, you can't do that. You can't kill the moon spirit. And Zhao's like, oh, hush you. You, you sweet bean, you don't you don't understand. I will be Zhao the Conqueror, Zhao the Moonslayer, Zhao the Invincible, you know all that crap. And uh, fucking Zuko sneaks in to uh, go get Aang, and Aang is like, you know, I'm fighting these ships, and there's just so many of them, I can't do it. I'm gonna go ask the spirits for help, and he goes over to the spirit world, and he meets um, fucking what the hell's his name, the Face Dealer. Co, Co, the face stealer. And Co steals many faces. He actually has stole the face of an avatar. That's the whole thing about, like, you know, stealing the face of somebody you love. Um, I believe that is the avatar that preceded Kyoshi. I think it's Kuruk, I think is his name. I can't fucking remember. But it's it's one of the avatars from, from the before times. So that's kind of fun. But you wouldn't know that unless you, like, looked shit up later. Um, like, they don't ever tell you that in the canon of the show. It's just something that you can look up, and if you're curious, there's there's Wikipedia entries on that crap and all that stuff. Um, but I do love more adventures than the Spirit uh, Realm, even though, like, the rules for the Spirit Realm seem to keep constantly shifting, um, including how he gets there and how he gets back, but he gets better at it as time progresses, and it becomes more and more of a thing. Um... But uh, Zuko takes Aang and just runs away. And Katara defends him pretty honorably for a while there. But just she just can't hold him off when that sun comes up. Um, meanwhile, like Yue is like, I can't see you anymore, Sokka. I'm engaged. It's confusing. I care about you too much. Goodbye. And then the chief is like, I need volunteers for a dangerous mission. And Sokka's like, count me the fuck in. I don't care anymore. I'll go get myself killed or whatever. Um... And that whole fucking C plot of Sokka dealing with uh, the person who's engaged to UA and the the whole like secret mission and all that stuff is a complete waste of time as far as the secret mission is concerned. It's great for Sokka's like character development, um, but that whole secret mission like culminates in that guy being like Admiral Cho, 
prepare to meet your end, and then he just gets knocked off the ship, and that's it, and it's over. And, side note, we never see that guy again. Ever. Like, if you think about how those ships are constructed, he didn't, like, I think there was a splash sound, but he should have just face-planted on the deck of the ship, um, and probably was immediately kidnapped or killed. But we never see that guy again. Um, primarily because he served his purpose for the story, and then was immediately written out. And then Yue goes off and fucking dies, which we'll get to in a second. But yeah, that guy, that guy didn't fucking make it. Whether he was forgotten about in terms of the story or if he was kidnapped or killed or whatever, we never see him again. He just doesn't make it. Um, at least in season one, we don't see him again. If we see him again in other episodes, then that's because I forgot because it's been so long. But got me some G-dang slack. Um, and the war is, is going on and everything is, is just losing its goddamn mind. And, uh, it's, it's excellent. Um, I, I think it's, I think it's a really great war episode and it goes on into episode two and Zhao has been being patient. He's been calm. He doesn't attack at night. He waits until the sun rises and then he attacks and then he continues to attack when the, the night happens again, even though it's the full moon and the waterbenders are basically unstoppable. And then he goes and picks up a fish and he puts it in a bag and the moon goes red and all waterbenders everywhere lose their ability to bend water. And he probably would have been fine if he just did that. Like, would the like what would have happened? Because I feel like the it, it was the fact that the fish left its buddy, not that the fish was out of water. I think I think the fish being out of water helped uh, separate like its its spiritual connection. But if you put that fish in like a bowl or something, kept it alive, just separated, and kept the moon red, you probably would have won the war. You know? Or at least that battle. And then he could have put the fish back. And given the waterbenders their powers back. But like only they once they were like contained and all that stuff. You know? That's, that's what I would have done. Here, me. Uh, but he's like, I'm going to kill this fish. And Iroh's like, whatever you do to that fucking fish. I will unleash upon you tenfold. Let it go now. He's like a fucking badass. And Iroh's a fucking I love Iroh so goddamn much he is the best character in this show full stop bar none I will fight you um and Zhao doesn't listen he puts the fish back and then he kills it with firebending and Iroh unleashed a bunch of fire blasts on him and then I and Zhao just runs away because he's a little piss ass coward uh and the fish is dead and the moon is just gone it's not a new moon it's not it's not set it's just gone moon's gone uh and everything just goes to shit real fucking quick and the waterbenders are like losing the battle and the firebenders are, are pushing the advantage and Aang meanwhile is coming back from the spirit world and he zips over and he's now awake in a cave with Zuko and the others find him and they all escape and Zuko gets knocked unconscious uh, but they carry his body out of there because he would have frozen to death if it wasn't for them and all that stuff and then eventually he escapes um, at the end of the uh, the fucking show and he's over there with Iroh and all that stuff anyway um, Aang fucking syncs up with the goddamn ocean spirit to become the giant koi fish monster that we all know and love. Uh, and he single-handedly just tells the Fire Nation to go take a hike and he destroys a lot of ships and he kills a bunch of fucking people. Uh, and then the moon spirit comes back because Yue imparts her life essence back into the fish in order for the moon spirit to once again live. And Rin states the moon and is like, it can't be! And, uh, he gets kidnapped by the ocean spirit and accepts his demise and fucking dies as far as any of us are aware um in reality he just gets sucked into the spirit world 
and spends the rest of his life wandering through like the mists of oblivion or whatever the fuck rest of eternity I should say because uh, he shows up in uh, the legend of Korra which is hilarious but that's the end of Zhao that's the last we ever see of Zhao and as far as this show is concerned uh, very good villain but as I said earlier he does fill a similar role to Zuko um, at least in season one he fills a similar role to Zuko and uh, tries to capture the avatar and he just can't do it just can't do it we learn a lot about the spirit realm and Sokka loses his first love um, of Yue, who becomes the moon. Uh, well, first significant love. Suki is the one he ends up with, um, but she was... We didn't really get a lot of Suki's character um, in this this season. We got, we know a lot about... We understand what kind of person Suki is, but we just don't under, we don't get a lot of Suki in this. Um, and... We do later, and oh boy, will I get into that later. Um, but Aang kicking ass at the North Pole, like, flying out there, destroying ships, working with the koi fish, you know, all that crap. It's it's excellent. It is such a great finale. And the show ends with kind of like a victory shot of all of them looking at, like, the, the, the moon setting, you know, and they're all standing there arm in arm, side by side, and Katara and Aang have this great little hug, and that's how the show ends. Of season one. It's just like, and they do this, and then it's just like, oh, and there is a bit of a tease of a Fire Lord Ozai being like, my brother is a traitor, and your brother is a failure. I have a mission for you. And it's Azula, um, who is so fucking good. I mean, Azula more, Azula more than Ozai is the villain of this fucking show. And we'll get... She's also probably one of the most complicated and interesting characters in the entire fucking show. I absolutely adore Azula. Um, and all we got was just like a little hint of Azula, you know. But unknowingly, you've been seeing Azula the entire time um, because she's the one that bends fire in the opening credits. So that's fine. Although her fire in the opening credits is not blue. It's just fire colored. So that's a bit of an inconsistency, but that's fine. Um, no, it's, oh man, it's just incredible. Let's do a little bit of a retrospective. Now that we're here at the end of season one, I adore season one. I love waterbending as a thing. Every episode in here has something of merit to bring to the overall story. Some more than others. I feel like the, the first like, you know, five episodes are pretty solid Episode 6 is meh. Episode 7 is an 8 is incredibly important because it sets up the entire plot of the whole fucking show. Episode 9 is alright. Episode 10 is real good. Episodes 11, 12, and 13, and 14, and 15, and 16, and 17 all have little little nuggets of importance. Little, little elements that matter to the overall greater show. But... You don't really need them. And then obviously 18, 19 to 20 is like the, the climax of the whole fucking first season. Um, and brings the whole thing home. If I was to give this season an honest to God rating, if I was to like look at it objectively over, over everything, I mean, the show never technically fails. Like the animation never looks weird and the music never sucks and the action scenes are never bad. None of that is, is, bad so by default we're you know that's an automatic five characters are incredible um the 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 places where the show kind of stumbles a little bit 
is in terms of some of its individual episodes and the, the, the smaller plots. The overall arching story plot is excellent, but some of those individual like sequences are just kind of like, so I'd probably give season one a pretty solid, I'm gonna say seven out of 10, maybe eight on a good day, um, somewhere in that neighborhood. Cut it in half and call it 7.5 if you're really feeling saucy about it. It's a great season, do not get me wrong, but it is not the best season of the show. It's an incredible start though, but season two and season three, based on my memories, are stronger seasons than, than season one is. Um, that being said, I, I do love season one. Um, and it's also the longest season. Um, seasons two only has 18 episodes and season three only has 16 episodes. So it is, it's particularly interesting in that front as well. Thank you all very much for listening. I know this episode was a little shorter, but I didn't have as much to say about these episodes. They're either really good or they're just kind of meh. Uh, and next week we will talk about season two. See you all then.